So how we produce food, how we engage and become good stewards of the land and its resources connected in new and different ways. There can be really radically uneven impacts of efforts to secure the water supply for a climate change future. We had schools shutting down. You literally can't go outside in many parts of the state because you can't breathe. Welcome to Securing Justice, a podcast series created by the California Center for Ethics and Policy, or CCEP, at Cal Poly Pomona, and generously supported by California Humanities. The focus of our podcast is on climate justice, an issue that affects people worldwide, particularly where inequality is greatest, but which is often disguised or invisible. My name is Nicole Lambrew, lecturer of urban planning at Cal Poly Pomona, executive director at Tinkercraft Design and Advocacy Group, and faculty fellow with CCEP. This podcast will explore issues surrounding climate change and inequality through a variety of means, panel discussions, interviews, and creative works by faculty and students. Our aim is not necessarily to debate approaches to climate change in California, though you will find some of that here, but rather to examine the multiple ways in which climate change is experienced by different peoples and communities with a lens on the question of justice. From artists and activists to philosophers and policy wonks, we hope to provide listeners with a varied and nuanced look at how climate issues affect the lives of Californians and others. In this episode of the series, CCEP student fellow Rebecca Prentice records a walking journey along the San Gabriel Valley, capturing the sound of the environment around them and reflecting on the meaning of nature as it relates to cities and the built environment. In doing so, Rebecca forces us to challenge notions of the natural and unnatural. We ask that if you like what you hear, if you care about these issues, please share our podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Hello there, listeners. I'd like to thank you for joining me once again on my journey exploring the San Gabriel River and thinking about nature and how we understand the notion of the natural, the unnatural, and the role that humans play in it. We last left off at the Santa Fe Dam Recreational Area, where I interviewed two women and ask them about what's natural, what's unnatural. From here, we'll continue on until Downey, where after reaching Downey, the river transforms into a giant concrete channel. We'll be continuing to think about, you know, what's natural, what's not natural. But at this point, you'll start to notice that 
the way that I stick to the more common understanding, the more uh, popular understandings of what nature is starts to break down as I begin to uh, reveal a little bit more of maybe what we could call my own position on the matter. As I begin to find these more common views to be more and more unsatisfying. I take you now to a bench across the street from the Santa Fe Dam where I take my first serious rest since beginning my journey in Azusa. I'm currently sitting on a bench at the intersection of the Santa Fe Dam and the continuation of the river. At this point, the river doesn't actually appear to have any real water flowing through it. It's mostly just dirt and grass, as well as a sparse array of plants that proliferate the area. Beneath me is concrete, as well as a little dirt path. The concrete is dirty and hasn't been cleaned in some time. It's littered with leaves and seeds, ants, cigarette butts, paper, trash. To the ant crawling around on the ground, the dirt on the concrete and the dirt of the dirt path isn't really any different. But to us, the ant is probably something which we would align with the very dirt itself, at least when it's on the concrete. The ant on the dirt path is somehow in its place, but the ant on the concrete is out of place. And it's this being in its place that seems to define the way we think about what's natural. And it's being out of place that we tend to use as our marker for the unnatural. But I would question whether or not nature really entails everything being in, things being natural really entails everything being in its place. Nature itself has often, uh, in many ways, constantly disturbing itself. Things become out of place all the time when things run their course, undisturbed by human efforts. Catastrophes and displacement aren't uncommon in nature.
but we like to think of nature as without any of these complications. We like to think that somewhere out there, there's a world where our human sense of distortion between some idyllic state and its disturbance doesn't exist. Somewhere out there, there's a place where everything is in its place. And we like to imagine that we ourselves could be put in our place in nature. But what if nature itself is always displacing itself? And we simply mistake it for a kind of um, harmony that we only idealize since we separate ourselves from it. Since we Im imagine that the kind of tension that exists within human spaces doesn't exist in nature, which we're only able to conceive of the distinction in this way because of the degree to which we've allowed ourselves to feel as though we are outside of nature. inside the river, if I can just ignore for a moment, or inside the riverbed, if I can just ignore for a moment all of the cars and the electrical lines and the buildings and the concrete, it does feel like I'm looking, like I'm, I'm sitting in a field, like I'm uh, looking at something that one might find out there somewhere, outside of urban space. And yet it's deeply Im embedded in urban space. It is itself an urban river. But that almost sounds like a contradiction in terms. But that's not the only thing that sounds like a contradiction in terms. The river is both, both incredibly artificial and very natural. And I can think of at least one other thing that seems to fit this odd tension. And to me, that is us, people, humans. Both in some sense, 
Incredibly natural. Another living thing on the planet. The culmination of generations of life on Earth over the course of a millennia. Undisturbed by any kind of like massive uh, external intervention of any obvious kind. And yet at the same time, deeply, deeply artificial. There's much artifice to being human. Like language. Like that I'm wearing shoes and socks and clothing. That I'm holding a piece of complicated technology meant to record sounds. Much like the river being this weird, holding this weird tension between being both incredibly artificial and incredibly natural, I myself also feel a sort of kinship with this tension. I am incredibly natural and incredibly artificial. I remarked that after the Santa Fe Dam, the river basically stops, or at least the water, the flow of the water stops. This is not true. Looking into the segments of the river divided by the concrete structures that lower into the next segment, you can actually see that water does indeed flow through these areas but at such a small rate that it appears to disappear. And only after we go down into the lower segment do we see that a pool of water at, its, in, at, its, uh, at the very beginning of the segment shows that there, there is a flow going on. It appears as though it flows through the concrete in small holes and empties out into the next segment. Looking out at the segment, one can hardly see any flow of water. But one can imagine that once one, if you were to step into the center of the riverbed, that you would find squishy dirt and plants and a wetland-like atmosphere, wetland-like texture in the, of the, in the ground. Although the river appears to have disappeared, it is merely below the surface. This thought brings me to the idea of nature and urban space. At first glance, it appears as though urban space is devoid of nature. But really, nature continues to exist just below the surface, beneath the concrete and the dirt covering it. But given the context, 
It no longer appears to us as nature, but is either the invisible exterior of the dirt beneath the concrete, or the smudge, stain, or mess that covers the surface. Not only this, but also nature disappears in the concrete itself. The sidewalk itself is composed of rocks ground up and turned to concrete, which existed for a millennia prior to the creation of the concrete. And its nature continues to persist at the level of its own materiality, the level of its own history, even though it falls out of our perception. I'm currently standing in front of the San Gabriel River Spillway. A large dam-like structure, which appears to function as a... God, I wish I knew the term. A... Uh, point which, when activated, facilitates the flow of water into the lower levels of the river. It's an absolutely massive concrete structure. Rows of large concrete uh, God, you know, I just don't have the terminology for this stuff. Large, uh, huge, enormous slabs of concrete jut out from the center structure with what almost look like handles, but I know that they're not, connected to shield door-like structures uh, are in between each slab. Once again, the structure is absolutely massive. And I gotta say, it, it kind of evokes this feeling of, I don't know, the sublime. It almost, maybe, not quite. Maybe it doesn't quite capture the sublime, but I feel like it kind of evokes it just because it's so large. It's huge. I feel absolutely tiny in comparison to this incredible concrete structure. And to think also not only of just its sheer size and its enormity, its intimidating appearance, but also of the power that it has to control the flow of water. The idea that, that people made this, I mean, it's, it's no less fantastic or incredible than a skyscraper. Although certainly a skyscraper is much larger than this. As a marvelous work of industrial engineering. Is it beautiful? I mean, 
in a brutalist way, <laughs> in kind of like a, a concrete, uh, industrial, brutalist way. Yeah, it has a certain kind of, I guess, aesthetic appeal. Is it natural? I mean, hell if I know at this point. But anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and move on. The structure is magnificent and uh, slightly terrifying, but I like it. along the river, not too far after the San Gabriel River spillway. To the left of me is the river. There's a small stream about 30 feet or so from the bike path. The water is quite still. So you can tell it is flowing very slowly. Grasses of varying kinds line the, the both sides. I guess you would call this what a riparian zone. There are small trees, nothing too big, lots of grasses and shrubs. Very tall grasses that remind me of corn or bamboo. Piled up high on the side between the grass and the river at a slope are rocks. Many, many rocks. And not only rocks, but the great lovers of rocks, the lizards who crawl along the rocks and under the rocks, bathing in the heat and hiding in the shade, protected from any predator that might come their way. Surely, Despite the clearly unnatural arrangement of these rocks, the lizards appreciate them as a home which guarantees them safety and a fertile place to breed and eat and live. In this sense, I suppose let's think of another way to think about nature. Nature works its way in. Nature as in, uh, right, as, or maybe I'm saying nature, but I should just say life, right? Maybe life is here what I'm talking about. Life, as a, was said in Jurassic Park, finds a way. Life is irreverent to whether or not the environment is natural or unnatural, so long as it facilitates its continued uh, prolongation of its process. Now, when most people talk about nature, I notice that they are often talking about life. And so, I wonder, how much of what we ascribe to nature is really something that we are, that's more indebted to the way we think about life? How much, I mean, obviously, if nature as a category means anything, it must entail life. But nature doesn't just entail life. Nature entails also non-living things. 
like uh, the rocks, the dirt, meteors, comets, supernovas, all of these things are nature, but not all of these things are life. At least, <laughs> I don't think so. In front of me is a lovely image. In front of me, the river is relatively high. Here, it genuinely looks like a river. It's as close to a river as one can imagine. Across from me is, I think, some kind of a wash or a storm drain. And it is pouring a tremendous amount of water out into the river, filling it. Around it, birds gather and play. A couple birds even looked like they might have been racing, if that's even something birds do, which honestly I can't say. But regardless, it is, it's a, a lovely, 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 lovely picture. A few trees line the side of the river. Above the concrete uh, rock wall, that uh, lines the perimeter of the river's sides. It is a barren dirt uh, just lot, but on the other side of that there's a wall and a neighborhood, and on the overhanging the wall is a huge uh, bougainvillea with beautiful violet and purple flowers right above where the water spills out into the river. It's beautiful. It could easily be a painting. I'm currently standing in Downey, where the just before the, where the river intersects with Firestone Street. Until this point, the river has almost entirely been uh, the riverbed has almost entirely been composed of soil and plants, water and mud, trees and vegetation of all kinds, sometimes dry sometimes wet, always very alive, filled with all kinds of creatures. But it's at this point where the river makes a sudden and jarring shift. At this point, the riverbed becomes entirely composed of concrete. Almost no thing lives in the riverbed almost no thing. There are a few plants that have managed to grow up 
in some of the cracks, though they are far and few in between. That is not the only thing that has managed to eke out a life in the riverbed. There are also plenty of homeless camps. Now, <clears throat> there have been homeless camps the entire way from the very beginning of the river up to this point and all the way until it meets the sea. But up, in this, up until this point, the homeless camps have been either under bridges or in amongst the brush and the foliage of the riverbed. It's at this point that the camps now can be seen directly in, our, not just in the river, but on the concrete as the only thing that sticks out. Their obviousness is now much more clear. From here until I get closer to Long Beach, or very near to Long Beach, the river is a concrete channel, entirely and completely artificial, with the only thing natural about it, the only thing, I should say, that is uh, a sign of its history is the path that the channel takes even that is probably, to some extent, a kind of contrived history as rivers constantly change throughout their lifetime. Whereas this path is completely set in stone, in fact, in concrete. Up until this point, I have been asking these questions about is it natural and is it not natural? What is what what defines nature? Where is the break between the natural and the unnatural? And what is the role of the human in the unnatural? Often I've uh, vacillated um, on these ideas, kind of sticking to the common, the more like dominant notions of nature harmony, unnatural, unnatural uh, disturbance. But this, this uh, way of framing the natural and the unnatural is rather poor, and I've uh, let it slip a few times that I have my doubts about this way of conceiving nature and this way of conceiving the unnatural. Here at this specific site, we see the total conversion of what could at least feel natural. Because the river, by no means, if we think of nature as like an undisturbed harmony, a path that uh, is grounded in a material history that is undisturbed by human intervention, the river, uh, even up to this point, has not been natural. One could have said that in the plants and the trees and some of the water, maybe there is a nature 
there is nature in the riverbed, that the, the space itself has been denatured, but nature persists from that framework, from this you know, sort of framework of nature, which I've been trying to kind of hopefully interrogate. At this point, however, there is nothing even remotely like the feel and aesthetic that we attribute to the natural present in the riverbed. And I think that one would be justified in thinking or at least feeling the, the feeling as though this space is not even a river. That this is something, but it's not a river. The concrete riverbed has an industrial brutalist uh, aesthetic. It is plain. It is solid, smooth. It has cracks, but it is continuous and highly geometrical in very simple ways. But it is also massive. It dwarfs many structures that one would see in their daily life. Its horizontal magnitudes evoke a sense of endlessness, a feeling of walking around in some sort of industrial wasteland. At the place where the channel begins, on the right side seems to be a car sales lot and on the left side is a field of electrical transformers. This space could not feel less natural unless all of the, I mean, I guess you could remove literally all of the plants that, that kind of litter the dirt paths on either side of the river. And that would certainly make it feel even less natural. But in general, the site feels about as far away from being in nature as one can possibly imagine. I, however, do not feel as though I've suddenly left nature. I've simply met a new terrain with different rules and different regularities. I guess part of that comes from the way that, at least for me, I feel that there is no, both no way out of nature and no way in. But maybe I'll talk more about that later.
What exactly does it mean to say that there is no way out of nature and no way in? There's no way out of nature because we are always already caught up in a world of natural processes. Whether it's our own biological needs and limitations, or the fact that what we do on this earth has consequences for the ecosystem in which we live, we are embedded in nature, whether we recognize it or not. And yet, there's no way in which is to say that there is no original nature to which we can return. No blissful simplicity of a life in total oneness with nature. A return to nature is always predicated on a concept of nature that is conditioned by its idealization and our own sense of alienation from it within our particular historical context. We can only ever enjoy the fantasy of being one with nature, a fantasy that itself is predicated on the disavowal of the ways we are already embedded in nature. And though I seem to speak so confidently about nature here, I still haven't clearly stated what nature is. As we have seen, it can be a rather tricky concept and it often gets wrapped up in a lot of other ideas, like life or morality. Forgive me, I don't yet have a good answer for those who would demand a satisfactory account of nature, but perhaps I'll have something more to say in the final part of this podcast series. And so this concludes the second part of this short podcast series. My name is Rebecca Prentice, and I thank you, my listeners, for joining me in thinking about and exploring nature in the San Gabriel River. A special thanks to all the CCEP students who worked together over the past few months to put together this podcast series and for the ongoing advice of our CCEP faculty fellows. And thanks to you for listening.